On this episode, we discuss Book Club. The chilling tale of four people getting together in the same space less than six feet apart. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen. And Dan, uh, I hate to be to fall into my stereotype as the Jewish one, but why is this show different from all other shows? Well, uh, for one thing, we're all uh, more than six feet apart, meaning that uh, we're all Explain in our further. Res- respective apartments. Uh, yes, the uh, COVID-19, uh, colloquially named as uh, the coronavirus has uh, sent us scattered to the winds. Uh, normally, it was just Elliot scattered. Yeah, yeah. well... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, that's pretty much my reaction to it. Yeah, well... well just to, we are doing our best to try to keep up with what the governments tell us to do. Uh, we are setting an example for the young people out there by keeping distance from each other so as to not... Create, become disease vectors. Dan and Stuart are feeling a little under the weather, and I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just dealing with an overdose of California sunshine. You know, there's just too much, too much bright sun that I can only escape by staying in my house 23 hours a day, and only occasionally venturing outside to peer into the light like a mole man or a vampire that got tricked into escaping his coffin too early. So uh, this episode might be a little strange because we're all in three different locations. I don't yeah. think any podcast has ever done this before, right? No, uh, I don't think no, in the history sure. of podcasting. And my and my levels are all crazy, so this might be the weirdest sounding story you'll ever hear. Mm-hmm. Hopefully uh, it's extra loud. Um, um, yeah, I think I have it the easiest of all three of us because I'm not as sick as Stuart, nor do I have two children. No, uh-huh. Dan, you have the easiest of most people in the country. No, I know. We weren't. I was comparing to you two. I was not. Oh, okay, okay. We don't that's need to fair. get into how privileged I am, uh, which is very. Okay. But <laughs> all right, don't rub it in. Dan, yeah, you know. Dan is Dan is recognizing his privilege in a very positive way. Well, I mean, what am I supposed to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> Just count my lucky stars, I guess. Yeah, uh-huh. and your your yeah, purple moons and green clovers too. Yeah. Uh, so this is a weird way to start an episode, huh? <laughs> so, got, so, Dan, what do we do on this podcast? For anyone who's who's stuck at home looking for entertainment, and they stumbled on, on the picture of us, and they're like, well, I like chicken legs and beer and remote controls. I'll check out what these three <laughs> dudes do. Uh, what do we do on this podcast? Uh, this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and we talk about it. Um, now, uh, you were very interested. Uh, we, we had a short vogue for theme months, and you were going to do what you called Momuary, where we watched now, this uh-huh. in Palms. Let me but, explain. Uh, Mom, Momuary <clears throat> was, was for me. I wanted to do a theme month of – because let's face it. We're dudes. We watch a lot of dude movies. We watch a lot of – and not to, not to uh, gender stereotype there, but we watch a lot of traditionally dude movies, horror movies, action movies, uh, uh-huh. sci-fi, action, horror, horror, sci-fi, action, fantasy, horror – 
horror fantasy, sci-fi yeah. action and action horror, sci-fi fantasy uh-huh. action. And we don't, there's a whole world of movies out there sure, that yeah. we don't really touch upon usually that I would call generically movies my mom watches. And so oh, okay. I was, and this, so I wanted to see Book Club and Palms and it would double mm-hmm. as also what is going on with Diane Keaton these days month because yeah. Diane Keaton, who is, I, I don't think I'm going to deal, have any, uh, opposition on this national treasure and one of the most uh charismatic actresses in probably the history of motion pictures yeah. uh, delightful instantly likable very yes. funny and, uh-huh. and, uh, there can wear, and can wear the hell out of a high collar and a hat oh uh-huh. she you know her her style i mean there's a reason that the annie hall look took off like a like a wildfire when, <laughs> well, Audrey, uh, there's, when a, there's a scene like this it. movie where uh they're in, uh, uh spoiler alert uh, Diane Keaton is in a large inflatable swan in a pool, and Audrey said, "Why is she wearing a hat?" I'm like, "Because she's Diane Keaton." <laughs> also, yeah. it's nighttime, and she's wearing yeah. a huge sun hat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's a part where uh, her her girlfriends are trying to help her dress up for a date, and and Jane Fonda is like, "Open up your collar, show off the girls a little," and but she's wearing like a turtleneck underneath <laughs> the shirt that she's wearing. Yeah, there's no way yeah. the yeah. girls are getting anywhere near to being shown off. No, but she and looks that, great. But so yeah, no, she looks. Tremendous. But Diane does. Keaton is, she's also a working actor. And so yeah. for years now, she's been doing movies like this or Something's Gotta Give, where I'm like, like it's like Diane Keaton. Like, you're so, like what happened to the, the Diane Keaton of Reds, you know, or uh, the Diane Keaton of, uh, you know, uh, you know the Woody Allen movies that she made. Like, there's just, there's part of me that's like, Diane Keaton, you're better than this. So this was going to double as Diane Keaton, you're better than this month. But mostly it was movies that my mom watches. And... Unfortunately, I don't know that we're going to get to Palms because uh, there's yeah. so much else going on right now. But it's, we're but really just going to skip right to Wild Palms, <laughs> the, the TV show. <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> Part of the national conversation too, Wild Palms. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, inevitably, inevitably, when things start going south socially, people start talking about the Oliver Stone television short-lived series, Wild Palms. <laughs> I will say, uh, Elliot, uh, my I know for a fact that my parents saw Book Club. Uh, okay. And they, their reaction was, you know, like, look, we know it's dumb, but your your elderly parents had a good time. Yeah, sure. I mean, this thing is this is this is a comfort food movie, and maybe at this time in in American history, we all need a little comfort food. But uh, guys, I wanted to talk about where this movie goes wrong because it does so much right. Once Can number one, it brings together an amazing cast. This is Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen, and Mary Steedburgen. They're all great. Uh, and also, you got Don Johnson and Wallace Shawn and Richard Dreyfuss and Ed Begley Jr. This is an all-star, older star uh-huh. cast, and Alicia Silverstone in an, un, as far uh-huh. as I know, unheralded performance in a supporting role. But and so it gets so it obviously gets that right by getting cast. So wait, it, it wait, taps, are you saying are you saying like a little guy in a little suit didn't come out and like? tell everybody that Alicia Silverstone was showing up? <laughs> yeah. Like at the beginning of Frankenstein, when a man comes out and he goes, watch out, this movie may be too horrifying for you. I wish that he had gone out and he said, it may shock you to find that Alicia Silverstone is in this film in a very <laughs> yeah. small role. Well, all, also, are you saying that uh, Andy Garcia and Craig T. Nelson are chopped liver, my friend? I'm saying you... that, Dan, I'm saying that there are so many stars in this movie that the heavens were dark and I can't even remember all of them. Yeah. So there was a lot of stars in the movie. Two, it taps into the national zeitgeist because it's all about the Fifty Shades of Grey craze, which was only seven years old when this movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> and so the only way they could have fixed that is if the movie at the beginning, there was just a montage of things that happened in the year 2011 that they were just yeah. like, <laughs> just to set the scene. But uh, they, here's what this movie uh, does wrong. Now, 
uh, just a spoiler alert, I'm going to do a general thesis statement about the film, and then we'll get into the, the summary of it. This okay. movie is essentially a sitcom episode that has been expanded to the length of a feature film, and that That's sitcom true. is called Golden Girls, and mm-hmm. this is essentially a backdoor attempt, and I, I don't mean backdoor in a sexual way, even though this is a heavily Fifty Shades of Grey movie, because as we'll get into, it totally just it just it eliminates the promise of a of a sexually charged elder movie. But uh, it's like if they made a Golden Girls movie and they forgot a very valuable ingredient. Because let's take a look at who the characters are in this one. Okay. This is a story about a book club that's been meeting frequently, meeting regularly since 1974. Uh-huh. And, they're and we, have the, uh, we have the receipts to prove it, right? Yes, because we're introduced to them with the most incredibly fake Photoshopped photo I think I've ever seen in the history of film featuring young Jane Fonda, young Candace Bergen, young Mary Steenburgen, and young Diane Keaton. And we'll talk about their characters in a moment. Jane Fonda, there, uh, she's a... I just want to say there's a worse Photoshop job to come, but I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> Later, leave that as a, But which one is it? Is it the Egg Bagley Jr. photos? Egg Bagley Jr., yes. <laughs> Where, so much so that I thought it was going to be a plot point that he was faking these vacation photos. <laughs> It looks, there's a part where later on, Candace Bergen is looking at her ex-husband, Ed Bigley Jr.'s vacation photos, and it looks like he and his fiance went to the mall and stood in front of a green screen, like went to a carnival, and had like a fake photo made. Uh, So Jane Fonda, she's your classic, lifelong bachelorette, refuses to settle down, loves Uh to have sex, and owns a successful hotel. She's obviously the Rue McClanahan in this scenario. She's, she's the Blanche. She is very sexually active, does not want to be tied down by a man, and also has kind of similar hair to Blanche. Then you've got Sharon. That's Candace Bergen. She's a federal judge, and she is very ultra-proper, and she's very repressed. She hasn't even dated a man, let alone had sex, since she divorced her ex-husband, Ed Bakley Jr. This is clearly the who Dorothy. She, who, who she chose to divorce. Who she chose to divorce, yeah. This is clearly the Dorothy, the B. Arthur, you know, just kind of like the one who sneers at everybody else and looks down on them. Here's where the problem gets in. You've got Mary Steenburgen as Carol, who is a chef, who is married to Craig T. Nelson, and is kind of, she's just like a, kind of a lady who is upset that she and her husband aren't intimate uh, very often. And you've got Diane Keaton, who is a woman with two grown daughters who are treating her as if she's more fragile than she is because of her age. You've got two roses right here. Mm. You've got two Betty Whites. Mm-hmm. There is nary a Sophia to be found in the film. They are missing an Estelle Getty, and this throws off the very perfect and very essential chemistry of the Golden Girls experiment, where you had, one, the sex pot, two, the goof, three, the, the uptight one, and four, the sarcastic mom of the uptight one. Guys, this movie needs an older old woman. Even grumpy old men had a grumpy older man in the form of Burgess Meredith. Uh-huh. And true. yet in this movie... You've got two. You've got two roses and no Sophias. And of the roses, Diane Keaton is by far the better rose. Well, yeah. and uh, they don't give the roses as much comedically to do as uh, the rose and Golden Girls. No, know. well, I mean Golden Girls is also great. That's the difference. Yeah. Is also that Golden Girls is great, and Book Club is kind of like uh, it's just kind of got running through the, the motions. But let's explain. Okay, so you've got the so you've got these four indelible. I, I kind of feel like they're a little bit closer to the. Uh the the four women in the sex sex in the city or sex and the city series it's called sexy city it it's called sexy <laughs> city new york uh, i believe it's but, sex and the city because there's an ampersand isn't there yeah but that I ampersand think, stands for a y sexy wait, si- sexy the city maybe it's sex in the city let's look it no, up it's sex and the city it's sex and the city guys it's okay. not sex in the city it's sex and the city so right. or is it like, sex in like the them. city Dan, okay, so how does it map on? Map these characters onto the Sex and the City characters. Let's see. So there's Charlotte. Okay. 
She's like one of them. Okay, she's like <laughs> Candace Bergen because she's the uptight one and she's a lawyer and Candace Bergen is a federal judge. There's uh, Miranda. Okay. <laughs> she's like one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is Miranda the Kim Cattrall? Yeah. Because uh, Jane yeah. Fonda is very much the Kim Cattrall. There's a Courtney. Is there? No. <laughs> I don't no. think there's a Courtney. You're thinking of the friends. That's Courtney Cox. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Wait, that was her name? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is well, her name. Well, this movie, Diane Keaton is playing Diane, which yeah, is her, pretty good. Her character's name is Diane, which I thought was very funny. Uh, but guys, and, I discovered that it is Sex and the City, but there is no ampersand. It's written out, so I... Oh. Totally misremembered that. I'm sorry. That's a, I want to apologize to everyone for that before I get tweeted at. <laughs> no, I, Dan, I have to assume that you've been watching a some kind of like bootleg <laughs> ripoff called Sex and a City, where they're very generic about what city it is because they don't want to get sued, but it probably is Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. It is hot there, I hear. Yeah, no, no, it's mm-hmm. Cleveland is where it's hot, Dan. Hot oh. in Cleveland. Oh, it's WKRP in Cincinnati is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very Wookrup in Cincinnati. That's... <laughs> Do you think there was somebody at the time who was like, Wook, we're up in Cincinnati. What is this? A science fiction show? Uh, must be a typo in the old TV guy. <laughs> I'm going to assume it's called Woke Up in Cincinnati, and it's about somebody who fell asleep on a bus, and now they got to get back, but with a typo. Well, I guess I'll wa- I don't need to watch the show because I'm not interested in that premise, and he missed out on one of the classic sitcoms of the 1970s. Yeah, and he's never going to get to see it because of the music rights, at least not in a very cut-up form. So, yeah, yeah. Well, now when he finally watches it, he's going to be like, this is the show because they can't play those scenes that have the old music in them. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. guys, so you got these four characters. They're Sex and the City Golden Girls, and they each have their story, that very much like a sitcom. They each have their story that they're going to go through, but... They're all friends, and they still meet every week for Title Card Book Club. Now, I want to mention before we get into the plot that oh, the, wow. sa- the soundtrack to this movie is bonkers. Like, I think Austin Powers had a more subtle soundtrack than this one. Like, you would, if you just listen to the music, you'd be like, what kind of crazy cartoony hijinks are going on in this movie? But, oh, so you mean the score. You're not yeah, talking about how they use more than this by, uh, by Roxy Music. No, no, no! I'm not talking about the pop song soundtracks that okay. they, they because they also those are there's a part at the end where they play a meatloaf song and everybody acts as uh-huh. if it's the craziest thing they've ever heard. <laughs> like, uh, okay, so uh, these these women when they get together, you better believe they make lots of sex puns. Oh boy, the mm-hmm. innuendos are flying wild. Uh, they have just speaking of, they've just read the book Wild, and Jane Fonda did not like it. They mentioned that the theme of this year's book club is bestsellers that were made into movies which is kind of a silly theme for a book club because they probably yeah. would have read these books already. Uh, but Jane Fonda is like, hey, ladies, here's the book we should read, Fifty Shades of Grey. And they're like, no, come on, come on. And she goes, hey, we started, th- oh, and Kenneth Springham says, we started this to stimulate our minds. And Jane Fonda goes, I hear it's quite stimulating. That's the level of dialogue that we're going to get in the movie. <laughs> and it's, and it's great, great for me, Stuart, the person watching the movie, because... I know those stories, so I know what they're in for. Yeah, that was the funny thing, was watching it, having seen the, having seen all three movies for this very podcast, there were times where I'm like, so how are they going to deal with the part where he they think he's died in a helicopter crash? Is that something that they're going to bring yeah. up? Like, are they mm-hmm. going to bring up the, all the whole subplot with the guy who wants revenge? They don't. Can I just, I know that we've uh, paused a lot before getting into the plot, but can I just uh, say Dan, my thing about... Dan, we get to make the rules. Look, it's coronavirus yeah. time. We make the rules. Things are crazy. Just say what you want to say. Do Great. what you want to do. Can yeah, you man. stop a friend Adam's family? Well, I just want I want to talk about how linked this movie is to Fifty Shades of Grey. Because, like, 
All right. I don't want to deny, like, at the time, there were all these articles about how, like, you know, like, uh, older women or women who, like, maybe had, like, sort of settled into uh, married life were, like, rediscovering, like, uh, sex or whatever because of Fifty Shades of Grey or, like, whatnot. Although, I believe there was I believe there was a run at the hardware stores on nylon rope because so many women were begging to be tied up. Well, that's one of the things though. Like the, it, I feel like all of those stories were more about how like uh women who maybe were from an earlier generation where they didn't like talk so much about their needs uh were like connecting with like they could be honest about if they were kinky or not or uh-huh. like inject new elements into their sex life, which is not what this like movie boron. is. New this elements movie, like boron or magnesium. Yeah, this movie is much more like, it's just like these women are like, oh yeah, sex, when they read Fifty Shades <laughs> of Grey. That was one of the things, I feel like this movie makes a promise early on that we are going to see some older women getting invested in BDSM play, and that never yeah. happens. I'm like, this movie promised me implicitly that I was going to see Diane Keaton in a leather mask, and that never <laughs> happened, and I was okay, very disappointed. Well, no one ever holds her also, riding crop. It's just like, what is this movie about, you know? Yeah, but also I think that it's, I, I personally would have preferred that the movie uh, just make up, like, an erotic book bestseller rather than tying it so specifically to Fifty Shades of, of Grey, because the movie feels like this giant commercial for a lot of things. There are other yeah. things it feels like a commercial for, but oh yeah, motorcycles, 50... earplugs. Well, bumble. Yeah, like a bumble. Yeah. Do you, Do you think if this movie had been made like twenty years earlier, it would have been a movie club and they were yeah. watching Basic Instinct or something? Yes, <laughs> well, exactly. Like, yes. They don't just read the first book. They like throughout the course of the movie, they read the entire Fifty Shades trilogy and like. I mean, maybe it's just because I've, you know, picked up Fifty Shades of Grey and read some of it and know how <laughs> horribly written it is, but I would prefer they just, like, you know, like, good, good on you. Go read some erotica if you want to, but, like, god damn, there's, there's much better erotica to be had. Uh, they never make any jokes about the writing in the book, which surprised me. That yeah. they, and I wonder if it's because they don't want to alienate... Or maybe they like those books. I don't know. They don't want to alienate the people seeing this movie who are like, oh, I read those books. Those were good books. That, I really liked yeah. them a lot. It reminds me yeah. of a – there was a time when Oprah's book club, they picked uh-huh. 100 Years of Solitude, and then they were picking into some other book. And I remember for some reason – maybe it was on at work – like seeing a little of the episode, and she's like, okay, now I know the last book was a little difficult for some people. And women in the audience were nodding. And I was like, 100 Years of Solitude is a beautiful book. Like I love it. I love that book. And it's. Yeah. And I remember at the time being a but young – But now you're ha- going to drag it? Well, no, no. At the time, being a young, callow jerk and being like, that's not a difficult book. Like, it's a beautiful book. And it had to be pointed out to me by someone else, like, not everybody is, like, a reader. And I don't mean that in a condescending way, but, like, not everybody is just going to pick up Gabriel Garcia Marquez and be like, oh, yeah, I really get this. So for a lot of people, it probably was a much more challenging book than they're used to. And they might be the kind of people who, when they read Fifty Shades of Grey, they're not like, oh, this is so horribly written. They might be like, eh, this isn't the best written book, but I'm enjoying it. So, like... I want yeah. to see it from the point of view of people who maybe don't have such snobbish standards as me. Right. Yeah. And I also want to say, like, <laughs> we are aware that uh, we are all uh, middle-aged men. And so mm, speaking, I'm approaching middle age. <laughs> speaking as uh, as such, uh, you know, we can't necessarily speak to uh, older women's uh, desires and hearts. <laughs> no, no. But so, I, think, I think we all come to this from a very from a place of like. Older women's sex positivity? No, definitely. 
Okay, so getting into the plot. Uh, basically, Diane Keaton, she has to go visit her kids. They all live in L.A., uh, her, I think. Her kids live in Arizona, and she's going to go visit them, and she has a meet-cute on an airplane with Andy Garcia, and they're flirting, and then she accidentally grabs his dick for a reason I couldn't uh-huh. quite understand. <laughs> and, she got uh, scared. He also, yeah. Andy Garcia, from scene one till the end of the movie... Seems drunk the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's doing an accent that I couldn't quite pinpoint. I thought he might have been Greek. I'm not sure. I I, I will say, uh, having watched this movie with Audrey, she was like shouting at the screen. She did not like Andy Garcia because she felt like he was a cocky guy who was constantly like, uh, sort of assuming uh, that Diane Keaton could drop everything at the at any moment to like come see him in another city. Like there's a later point where he sort of ignores her fears. I mean, in the interest of trying to push her past them, but like in a way that Audrey really didn't respond to. And I I I get it. Like I think he's being presented as like this romantic type that uh may have yeah. been better in a previous age where he's like yeah. he's a, a pilot. Pushy. He can he can still drive himself at night. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's he's the most Christian Grey like figure in this, and that he is a yeah. millionaire who has nobody else in his life and can indulge just whatever uh, desires or fantasies he has, and who also very early on has a sense of possession and ownership over Diane Keaton. And this is not explored because he's just a fantasy figure of a rich, handsome man who is available and shows interest in her. You know? Yeah. There's a certain he has a certain amount of uh, charm because he's Andy Garcia, but like he also. I, I think he's being presented as a, a, a figure that will push Diane Keaton past her neuroses. But uh, just from Audrey's perspective watching it, she was like, well, uh, he's a little too like controlling and thinks he knows better. I mean, later he hits on her, but she doesn't know he's a pilot and she's flying back home. And a flight attendant calls her up and is like, oh, we need some information from you. What's your name and your phone number? What's your address? And what nights are you free? And then the pilot... Andy Garcia walks out and he's like, I'll take it from here. And the flight yeah. attendant has this look on her face like, hey, 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 glad I could be part of this little love prank. And <laughs> yeah, then, rather and, than the look that they really would have on their face, which is like, don't involve me in your dating life. <laughs> in your stalking. And then yeah. a, a, an alarm goes off in the cockpit and he refuses to answer it until Diane Keaton agrees to go on a date with him. And it's supposed to be, I think, cute, but it's like, this is scary. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And if he set off the alarm on purpose... To, as like a part of the prank, which I assume he did. It's like that's worse. Like he's he's a, he's yeah. playing a lot of mind games with her. And in a and in a movie that was more keyed into Fifty Shades of Grey, that would be like acknowledged as creepy. But instead, it's supposed to be just cute here. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. anyway, meanwhile, uh, Mary Steenburgen, Craig T. Nelson, her husband, has just not been showing interest in the bedroom, and uh, we see her. She they go on their anniversary dinner, and Craig T. Nelson gets her a very romantic gift: two sets of earplugs, so that she can watch her TV shows while he's sleeping, and his snoring won't keep him up, won't keep her up. And uh, she gets him dance lessons because her annual charity dinner is coming up, and it's going to be a talent show, and she wants to dance. Neither of them are happy with these gifts. She starts reading the book while watering a plant, and we see the moisture meter on the plant go to high. And it was like, mm-hmm. come on, everybody. Like, come on. What are we doing here? Like, what kind of Benny Hill-level joke is this? 
I mean, I expected it to cut to a shot of, like, the Great British Baking Show and have Mary Berry be like, that's a soggy bottom. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. There's a lot of those types of puns, too. Later on, Craig T. Nelson really gets into his old motorcycle, and there's so many <clears throat> lines about, like, oh, yeah, I got to lube her up so I can mount her, and I can climb on top of her and ride her all night. And she looks yeah. at the camera, basically, and is like, oh, what about me? I got to like, say, like, that. I, it's, I like the se- that. it's like sexy Andy Cap is what it feels like yeah, to yeah. me. I sound, Craig T. Nelson's uh, like, I, I want to get on my motorcycle and squirt jizz out of my ball sack all over it. <laughs> he's like, he's like I, can't, I just can't wait to insert my dick into this motorcycle and pleasure it all night long. I found some of that funny, uh, not because the like gag itself is funny, but because like uh, all of the women are in a room and they know the problem uh, that the two of them have been having. And so they're all kind of like reacting to it and sort of trying to stifle their reactions. And this is going to be a running theme in the movie. The material is bad. But the actors are all so good that they managed to sell a surprising amount of it. I mean, it's kind of like Sex and the City that way. Sex and the City was so full of dumb puns, but yeah. uh, but like the performers in it are good performers. You know, there's yeah. a there's a yeah. line uh, that our old boss at the Daily Show, Tim Carvel, used to do, which was his version of a Sex and the City about old women, <laughs> where it would be, "Meanwhile, on the other side of a town, Estelle was having some assisted living of her own," and like that's kind <laughs> of what this movie is. Is that yeah. line, that joke, in like b- b- pumped up into a whole movie? Um, all the women, they're reacting super cartoonishly as they read it. Like, they're Tex Avery wolves. Their eyes are popping out of their heads. They're turning into steam whistles. Uh, the, and the soundtrack, like I said, the score is so cartoony. In my notes, I wrote that it's like the whole movie is a swing band in a car chase. Like, that's what it sounds like at times. Um, Jane Fonda's old beau, Arthur, played by Don Johnson, he shows up. And he just will not leave her alone and takes her out for ice cream, talks about how his wife left him, and they end up waiting in a fountain for a lucky penny because she made a bad wish on it. It's all so adorable. And a security officer on a Segway comes by and takes a picture of them. And there are a couple of security officer or cop moments in this movie. And I just kept imagining the auditions where improv actor after improv actor came in to like audition for this role. And they'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, well we shoot it. You'll make it into a bigger role with your improv. And that doesn't happen. I, I will yeah, say, I regarding- felt so bad. Yeah. Regarding Don Johnson, I know that this is, I mean, maybe it's like. <laughs> Who's, whose name to... <laughs> is also, his name is a pun for penis. Like, that's the other thing. It's like, they, they, it's like the movie is so full of puns that even the, the actor's name in the, in the credits yeah. reads as a pun. <laughs> Metaphor bleeds into reality. Yeah. I mean, maybe. <laughs> it's like in the mouth of madness that way. <laughs> maybe this is just turnabout is fair pr- play because, uh, like, uh, women so often get underwritten roles in this uh, sort of movie. But I could not tell you anything about what the character of Don Johnson was supposed to be other than he likes uh, Jane Fonda. His whole personality was he wears a kind of a funny hat. He wears a funny yeah. hat. He used to be a radio DJ. Yeah. Yep. And he likes Jane Fonda. And that is the, and I don't know what he does for business now. He had to yeah. fly into LA for business. for Maybe it was a radio convention. I don't know. Guys. But he also seems to be genuinely rich like everybody in the movie is. Now, I haven't watched all the special features on the Blu-ray disc of this, but I'm assuming there was a scene that's on the cutting room floor where Don Johnson's character is talking to Jane Fonda's character, and he's like, oh, you're in a book club. Uh, What are you reading right now? And she shows him, and it, like, cuts to his eyeballs in, like, a Giallo movie, and his blood runs cold because it makes him think, that's his daughter in those movies. Oh, no. Yeah, that's probably exactly what happened. Uh, what do you think he at a family event he was like oh i'm making a 50 shades movie too yeah it's family <laughs> stuff we can bond over this that's probably <laughs> that's a really good don johnson impression that's better <laughs> hey than it's me don johnson we hey, and my daughter we're gonna me. bond over this 
Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. I'm making that's, one uh, of these. That's uh, more I'm, like a Donald Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm making one of these uh, Fifty Shades movies just like you were, like daughter, like daddy, huh? Yeah, I mean, your daddy's in a Fifty Shades movie. And she's like, please stop saying that. Uh, no, call me daddy more. Meanwhile, uh, Candace Cameron, she is cyber stalking her ex husband who has I'm a sorry, much Candace young... Cameron? Uh, uh, sorry, Candace Bergen. I oh, apologize. man, Dan's been waiting for that fuck up. Uh, you, got, you knew it was going to happen, and you got me. Uh, Finally. Uh, Candace Bergen, uh, she is cyber stalking her ex husband, and she finds these, what we mentioned before, were the worst photoshopped pictures, maybe in the history of Photoshop. Now, they I want to. I think, I wanna... in a way, I think they're deliberately bad looking because they're so silly. They have to be. Like, it literally was like a photo booth at a wedding. Like, that's what it looks like. Now, I want to object to this uh, scene because, like, all right, so as a. Oh, I'll say uh, also, she gets caught by her law clerk because she's doing this at work. And uh, anyway, but Dan. As a previously unattached man, this uh, originally confused me a lot. This was before I'm... you were this before you were turned into a human centipede, now that you're attached? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm attached. Uh, it's <laughs> amazing the... that I can still talk with my mouth sewn to someone's butt. But Well, I assumed you, know. you were the front, but I didn't realize. Are you the middle or are you the back? <laughs> no, I'm talking into the butt, and the person <laughs> in front is saying what I'm saying with my voice, like a kind of a ratatouille, like... You know, like pull the hair and make the guy move, sort of situation. And, okay, I think that's the first time someone's compared human centipede and ratatouille. Sure. Uh, I mean, you didn't answer my question. Are you in the middle or are you in the back? Uh, what? I, are I, you in the middle? I am mi- in the uh, the second best position, which is the middle. Now, I wonder if what? The, uh, uh, not at all, not at what? all, sir, not you at all. The back is the. See, so you have best? a little bit of freedom, and then you can just poop freely into the air, but like God intended. But you've got two people's poop. I, I mean, I guess, like, there's a lot less poop maybe by the time. No, there's no I gotta say, for the Dan, poop to go. once you're eating one person's poop, you might as well throw the other person's <laughs> okay. poop on the plate. Let's not. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't think we, I don't think there's any contest. You know, the front is the best, because you get to eat <laughs> yeah, all the food, and you have somebody eating your ass all day long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. The back uh, is second best, because you can poop whenever you want. Yeah, and you get to eat someone's ass all day long. <laughs> and so, and the second. Why the million, is this happening in the book club episode? So I, the, I, I think I'm wondering if what if this movie came out a couple years earlier and was called Movie Club, and it's these four women who watch Human Centipede, and they're like, I guess this is what people are doing now, and they yeah. make themselves into Human Centipede, and it reinvigorates okay. their their Let's lives. Not talk about this anymore. What I wanted to say was, you know, there was a period when I was uh, using dating apps, so this Bumble thing confused me for a long time because all right first off uh-huh. it okay, wasn't so she, clear she goes on bumble to find this stuff we should say well, that. yeah it was it wasn't clear that this uh, was Dan, on i mean you do know that bumble is a dating app for bees right could that's could why you were just, dating so many bees for a while i'm speaking from or experience like clumsy so let me, <laughs> or clumsy let people me. yeah well that's fumble that's right. Fumble is the dating app for people like steve uh-huh. carell and 40 year old virgin who just keep having clumsy accidents that get in the way of their love life mm-hmm. yeah um, so I it was not to be confused with Grumble, the dating oh, app for people with for Andy Rooney's. Now, Dan, you were saying Bumble. Here's a look behind the curtain. I like to talk until Dan is so irritated that he just starts checking his phone. When he picks up his phone, I know it's time to let him talk. So, Dan. Uh, yeah, it was confusing to me for a moment because it looked like she was doing this on her desktop. And I'm like, OK, well, first off, Bumble's an app. So that's weird. But then later on, it becomes clear that she is using a tablet to do this. But then secondly, <laughs> oh, the re- good. The- I'm glad that plot hole got covered up with cement. The reason- that's, how, that's how my mom does most of her computing. Yeah. 
So, but secondly, she learns that her husband is dating this much younger woman by, uh, like, the Bumble thing is like, like, oh, matched. And I'm like, what? You can't see other people's matches on Bumble. But it turns out that I guess it's an ad for Bumble that's like, oh, these two people matched. You could too. But that, like, uh, suggests the question... Why is her husband showing up for her in this ad? I mean, she was Googling him right before, but, like, he's not going to be a keyword, like, in this advertisement for (laughs) Bumble. Well, she has learned that her husband is dating because her son calls her to announce his engagement, and he mentions that. So she goes on Bumble and is confronted with this ad. And I have to assume that, as in the song, there's always something there to remind her. Bum, 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 bum. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's that ad. She's just, it's a Kafkaesque existence where she's confronted at every moment with evidence of her ex-husband's life. I assume okay. that as a judge, she deals with a lot of cases that are tangentially related to her ex-husband, which again mm-hmm. is a conflict of interest. She should be recusing herself from those oh, cases. Yeah. But yeah. it's, but I think sure. uh, it is the kind of movie logic, Dan, where like someone will turn on the radio and there's mm-hmm. a news report about what's, whatever's going on that's important yeah. to the plot. <laughs> Yeah. You know? uh, so, but you're right. This ad comes up that's like Bumble helped this older man to get with a much younger woman. Isn't Bumble right for you? Uh, yeah. And so, but she gets caught by her clerk, and she doesn't want to get involved. She doesn't want to dip her toe in the radical, revolutionary world of internet dating. Which I'll I'll mention again is how I met my wife 15 years ago. I mean, uh, yeah. But this is a scary new world for that, her. Is that uh, Candace Bergen's character is hungry? She needs a slice of something. That's right. I think she needs a slice of Drive. Richard Drive shows up. <laughs> I haven't I haven't thought about slice playing, of Drive in a long time. <laughs> playing playing sixty nine year old George. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that because she hasn't put herself out there yet. But she is anyway. Yeah, yeah uh, I don't want to spoil it for everybody. I know everybody's waiting for George to show up. It's going to be great. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to bury well, I, the mentioned, lead. I mentioned Richard Dreyfuss at the beginning. People were like, "But who does Richard Dreyfuss play?" Because Richard Dreyfuss, I mean, he hasn't been on, on movie screens that much for a while. I mean, what was the last time? For a lot of people, he's still Max Bickford or Kippendorf, and he doesn't well, have I, a new character to to, to replace that. Krippendorf. But Krippendorf. Also, I'm sorry. <laughs> please, uh, I actually looked I should, him up. I should he remember has... from my anthropology minor at school that it was Krippendorf who discovered that tribe. Yes, Dan. He ha- it turns out he has been working much more than you would have thought. Like he's been in movies over the past uh, few years, but they just haven't been movies that people have seen. Yeah, I mean, he, played, uh, thing... he played Thanos. Uh, he played oh, wow. Tony nope. Starks. <laughs> nope. Oh, so he was two different characters in Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they used CGI. <laughs> Okay. okay. So it was a it was a dead ringers type scenario, I guess. Uh, no, he, the last thing I think I remember seeing him in was uh, that movie that we watched. Was it what was the when with where he was uh, Lesser Hemsworth's dad? What? <laughs> Piranha three D. No, no, he's not in that, right? He is uh, in it. He's at the beginning. He gets eaten by piranhas. It's a joke about oh, jaws. Right. I forgot about that. But we did a movie for Flophouse that he was in years ago. But uh. So Diane Keaton uh, is visiting her daughters again. They they they're treating her. They're really babying her. Mary Steenburgen calls this, to ask if sex This specific banking relationship with... is was the one that made my wife the most angry. Yeah, Which like one? the between Diane the, Keaton the, and her da- daughters. Diane Keaton and oh, her daughters. Yeah. Me like, too. They, they they treat her like such a weird child the whole time, and it's like, dude, we're at fucking Puka de Beppo, man. Just let me take this fucking phone call. <laughs> Like she like leaves, she leaves the restaurant to take this fucking phone call, and both of them leave the table. And it's like you can't leave your fucking idiot husbands at Buco to Beppo. They're gonna eat all this shit. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna finish it. There'll be none left, and that's expensive. 
to be fair, all over your children. To be fair, her her children are horrible meddlers, but Diane Keaton also uh, treats it like this is the sitcomiest plot because for reasons that you know maybe if I'm you know maybe if I was an older uh, a mother of adult children I would. Uh, think differently, but I'm like, why aren't you just talking to your children about what's going on in your life? You feel the need for the whole movie to hide your uh, oh, new no. Dan, relationship. Dan, as as the as the son of two parents who often don't tell me things about their personal lives that you'd think would be useful for me to know, I can I can speak to that, which is yeah, I believe but, that part. But she's not just like not thinking about it; like she's actively hiding it away. Like she like makes up a lie to run off with this guy and then doesn't answer her phone as they get increasingly hey. worried about her. Hey, I mean, you've got that's... to hide your love away, Dan. Sorry, I yelled okay. hey for that, just for that joke when it was really yeah. rude. <laughs> and the thing is, like, I dream of a day when, like, a hunky, drunk Arizonan pilot takes my dad away. <laughs> <laughs> It'll well, happen, too. It'll happen. Just, yeah. just, you gotta make sure he gets out there. Also, uh, your parents are still married, I believe? Yeah, I mean, my mom can go, too. She's chill. <laughs> wow. Your mom is very cool. You're, you do have a very cool mom. Uh, so, Mary Steenburgen calls an emergency book club. This this is the part I didn't believe. She goes, I have to call an emergency book club so we can figure out if sex spanking is a thing, because this book has got me all turned inside out. You have to fly back now. And uh, she and Craig T. Nelson have a dance lesson from their very stern dance teacher, and he is not enjoying it. Uh, so Candace Bergen, meanwhile, she goes to the vet with her cat. The doctor refers to it as a lethargic pussy, and we're like, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, we get it. Okay. Uh, she has an elderly cat. And uh, we already mentioned that Andy Garcia hits on Diane Keaton while playing on her fears of flying and being a creepy stalker dude. Uh, they have another book club scene, and, Dan and uh, Diane Keaton is like, uh, oh, no, wait, that's later on. Sorry, I have to go into my notes here that we're 27 minutes into the movie, and this was when Danielle quit watching, when my wife walked yeah. away and said, I can't take any more of this movie. Yeah, she was <laughs> hoping for them to spend more time talking about the books, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I will say that the movie is like uh, one of the times that the movie works better than others is when they're all together at book club because then you get to see these great oh, actors yeah. like interacting. Uh, I mean, other than like there were some parts where like I was annoyed at the movie's like script because it was just like let's reiterate exactly what's going on so <laughs> the slowest members of the audience will understand yeah. exactly what's happening. Yeah. But but the interplay was good. And a lot of the scenes just feel like delivery systems for these women to uh, walk from one well-appointed snack spread to the next. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's. I mean, this is this is in that very in that very Nancy Meyer vein of like uh, it's a certain sort of pornography about beautiful kitchens and yeah. the ease of having everything that you want at your fingertips at all times. I I actually have a voice memo from Audrey about this book club that I feel like this is the time to play. So I'm going to just uh, pump up my volume on this. And uh, here here you go. Uh, now. Book club? I think it's Marvel Wine Club. Am I right? All right. So that was the... That was yeah, the she's right. Not more of a yeah. wine club, you said? More of a wine club. I mean, most book clubs, it feels like to me, are excuses to drink with your friends. But like oh, yeah. in a structured setting? It's yeah. a way, I mean, a book yeah. club is just, I mean, it's just a way to force you to get together with your friends regularly so you don't lose lose track of them, right? Yeah, it's not it's like, like, this podcast. Little, like, yeah, like this shitty podcast we've been doing forever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, anyway, now we're going to enter into what I call the dating sequence, where everyone oh, goes cool. on dates. Diane Keaton goes on a date with her pilot, tells him the story of her first kiss, which also involves a man grabbing a she when she's a teenager, another teacher grabbing her head and then planting a kiss on her, which she calls very romantic, but which felt like again like a story where I was like, that's not an okay story. That's that sounds creepy too. And, and yeah. she. She tells that story when they're out at dinner at a table that is very far away from the edge of this uh, outdoor seating area. <laughs> like, I've been to outdoor restaurants. They kind of pack them in there so they can maximize the space, but no dice at this one. No, no. Well, you know, it's a movie. They had camera equipment and stuff, probably. Uh, the others have goaded Candace Bergen into online dating. She finally joins. She sets up a profile with a picture of her with a face mask on for some reason, like one of those nighttime face masks. Well, not for some reason. She can't figure out how to operate the app, so she takes an accidental picture okay, of herself. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit and just yeah. say that she goes on this. Let's well, I'll you know I'll just say very briefly. Mary Seen Merchant, she tries to seduce Craig T. Nelson with her old waitress uniform. She looks amazing, and he is so much more interested in his motorcycle. He does not. <laughs> he is not interested in it. Uh, they try to buy uh, Candace Bergen a sexy dress, and she seems to be unable to put dresses on she tries to put mm -hmm. it on over her clothes which makes no sense to me like or maybe it's just a very elaborate kind of Spanx undergarment that she's wearing that looks yeah. like a full suit of clothes under her dress and uh and this is important for later Jane Fonda slips Mary Steenburgen in, in her hands not to not to use gives her a Viagra pill to slip to her husband later because as she says a lumberjack is happiest when he has wood um, oh my I'll, god! I'll, I'll leave it to Holy you guys shit. to untangle with that. Means. Oh god! <laughs> is that true, lumberjacks? If there's lumberjacks listening, tell us if you're happiest when you have wood. Because to me, it seems like that's you know your job. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. But uh, you know, right in. But I mean, I feel like if there's, I mean, no wood means no work. You know, that's, so that's true. So I assume but that's I'm part not, of it. I'm not necessarily at my happiest when I'm at work, Elliot. Very good point. Very good point. In fact, I would say you're at your unhappiest, which would make it difficult if, say, someone was trying to supervise you and get you to do some work. <laughs> but I wouldn't I know what that's did like. I my goddamn work. <laughs> Don't fuck with me. So, but let's skip ahead to where the date. This is a real slice of drive. She's got Stuart, why don't you set the scene for this one, since I know you're raring to talk about Richard Dreyfuss's indelible, iconic persona as George. Okay, so they're like in a restaurant, and uh, George George seems like a normal guy. Like he doesn't seem like, you know, he he has uh, he has a Brooks Brothers shirt on, and uh, yeah, it's a nice little date, you know. They have yeah. a really pleasant first date, but for some reason, it's written so that. Candace Bergen's character thinks this is a disaster at every moment. It's like they're both nervous. They get over it. They talk with ease and calm. By the end of it, they kiss. She kisses him, and then they have sex in the back of her car. And yeah. the lesson she gets from that is, I do not want to see this man ever again, and I'm just going to yeah. date other people now, which makes no yeah. sense to me. Yeah, I don't know what happens there. Like, there, I... I wonder if there was something cut from the movie. I have no idea. I, the whole movie, I'm yeah. just like, whenever they went back to Candace Bergen, I'm like, why aren't you dating Richard Dreyfuss? You had a good Well, date. I'll tell you why. Because she goes back home and she's got more messages. And the first one we see is from, you guessed it, Wally Shawn. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, man, some, some man candy. One, some, please. Somebody's not having dinner with Andre tonight because he's taking Candace Bergen out for a date. <laughs> and they, it was the moment I saw Wally Shawn, I was like, Thank you, movie. Yes, this is exactly what I needed right now, is to know that a little bit of this movie's budget went to paying Wallace Shawn so that he could write 
like the most scathing, like unpleasant, like wonderful play about how modern society is built on the back of exploited workers and bloodshed. I'm like, <laughs> it makes me very happy to know that book club has, has contributed to that in some way by employing him. Uh, Diane Keaton, she runs off from her family. She makes an excuse and says that her house was robbed and she has to leave, but she doesn't fly home. She flies to her pilot's house. And this is when we first realized that he's probably a millionaire because he has an enormous house. Um, And he takes her for a ride. He invented some plane thing, right? That's he invented some kind of engine oh, that, that has less drag or something. I don't he, know. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's like a like a Tuscan villa. Yeah, right? it's nice. I mean, it's yeah. not in Tuscany, but it's in the style it's, of such it's a It's an thing. Arizona villa. And he takes yeah. her in a little prop plane and she's like no 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 I'm scared but she takes him he takes her in it and this is when it's the most like a 50 shades of gray movie because the whole scene is just just crane just just helicopter shots of Arizona desert and then shots of them in the cockpit going like wow look at that whoa like and the whole point yeah. of the movie is oh well life is wonderful if you're rich and have your own plane and can fly around whenever you want so very 50 shades of gray in that particular um, and she says, hey, my marriage actually died a long time. Oh, I forgot to mention she's a widower, Diane Keaton. Her husband died last year. She's and a she widow. Says, she, oh, a widower oh, sorry, would she's be a, widow. a gentleman. Uh, that's right. Hey, you know, she, well, maybe wow, this she's... Is a, this is a two-correction uh, show for me. This is great. Wow, wow Dan, you're on top of it. Uh, the world has been turned topsy-turvy. Uh, yeah. uh, actually, what if I... Can I defend myself and say that I was saying she's a widow? Err. <laughs> Could be. Could be. <laughs> no. Let's she's rewrite a, history. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln lived. Can we yeah. write at that? And the dinosaurs yeah. are still around. Yeah, and Trump didn't win. All right, let's go. Now, guys, in DuckTales, they never did rewrite history, did they? No. They uh, solved occasional mysteries. Yeah. Uh, and, and I would say yeah. life wasn't really a duck blur. No. Was it like a hurricane, though? In I Duckburg, mean, specifically. Uh, Okay. That uh, so she says, uh, my hu- my marriage died long before my husband did, which is a cruel thing to say. Um, uh-oh. Let's get back to Candace Bergen, because while waiting for her date with Wallace Shawn, which I have to assume is, like, how many— uh, That's everybody's dream, right? Is to have a one-on-one time with Wallace Shawn? Yeah. Or is it just mine? I mean, he's a lovable guy. You know, and, the, and yeah. it's. I think this movie missed a beat by not having uh, Alicia Silverstone interact with him in a clueless reunion. Oh, that would have been wonderful. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. Um, uh, while she's waiting for him, she runs into her ex-husband and his much younger fiance uh, because they live nearby. I, 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 the whole thing, I was so confused by her relationship with her family members. Yeah. She has a son who she seems to have almost no relationship with. Um, he certainly and, doesn't yeah. show up in the movie until the very end. Well, yeah. in this scene, And when too, he does like, show up, he looks like the guy from Love on a Leash when he's a man. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, Not when he's also, a dog. <laughs> Also in this scene, uh, Candace Bergen, <laughs> Candace Bergen seems to be learning for the first time that her ex and her son are having a joint engagement party. And I'm like, okay, even if you're like not talking to your ex, like you should know this from your son probably that he's having an engagement party. I mean, it seems like she has really cut herself off in a big way from her family. Her son yeah. calls and says he's getting engaged and she seems to be surprised even that he's in a relationship. Like, it really feels yeah. like she is... I mean, yeah, she's more like, a... but you're a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Only like, during the day. <laughs> Mom, my love is on a leash now. I, I want to say that we thought that the uh, much younger girlfriend uh, was a real scene stealer. Uh, she had a really funny reaction in a later scene that I, I want to highlight. But also, the way she's like just overly friendly to everyone and does like a little bent-over hug. 
uh, as she's meeting them. Uh, it was pretty funny, I thought. So you're saying this is a? Uh, I believe this is Mercia Monroe is her name. Yeah. And uh, she's been a lot of stuff, uh, but mostly you know one shots on TV. Yeah. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, she was in a movie that was a parody of Judd Apatow movies that I've never heard of before. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so the she so the, Wallace Shawn shows up. And Candace Bergen is like, oh, this is weird. Wallace Shawn, Ed Begley Jr., and and Cheryl, the fiancé, proceed to have a very pleasant, normal conversation. There's nothing weird about it. No one is awkward. Even when Wallace Shawn mentions that he's a DJ in addition to being a doctor, he has a great line where he's like, I'm Dr. Dan. You can just call me Dan. That's my name or something like that. It's, he, has a fun, he introduces himself as a doctor or Dr. Derek. He's like, I'm Dr. Derek, but you can just call me Derek, which is a funny <laughs> line to me. But the... Everything seems to be going super pleasantly, but what she decides is too embarrassing. Got to deactivate well, my Bumble account. I think it is the, time to whatever's going on downstairs. Got to shut it down. I think the implication here is that you know Ed Bigley Jr., her ex-husband, shows up with this like hot young uh, uh, fiance, and then yeah, and she shows Wallace up with Wallace Shawn, which yeah, is dude. like even better. Like Look, every I, everyone's you don't have to dream. Tell me. You don't have to tell me. Can't tell Candace Bergen. <laughs> That she should yeah. be lucky to be with Wallace Shawn. She should the be so lucky. One, brilliant Wallace Shawn. Hilarious. One know. of the pillars well, of the New York theater community. And she yeah, was like, worried she would like, lose herself in the passion, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's probably what it would be. It would be like a, real, a Wild Orchid or Wild Orchid 2 situation. Yeah, like a nine <laughs> and a half weeks or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, she was worried it would be a real shades of great thing, and she'd suddenly be, just be a creature of pure, pure lust. Yeah. Okay. Um Jane Fonda, she has a date with Arthur, Don Johnson. Uh, she manages to take a moment to debunk a popular reading of a Robert Frost poem, and then they fall asleep together with her tickling her arm and them listening to a full album all the way through the fantasies that they shared oh, with each other on the that date. That Robert Frost thing reminded me, early on there's a like joke about how uh, you know someone's uh, vagina is not getting attention, and they say they reference a uh, cave of forgotten dreams, the Herzog documentary. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, What yeah. a weird line to be in this movie! <laughs> it's a fairly obscure, it's not, I mean, Werner Herzog is, is, I guess, much better known now than he once was, but that's not one of his better known movies, right? I mean, it's yeah, a recent and, movie of his, and but. this is the most like widely pitched, as you say, sitcom y uh, comedy. So to have that in there, I'm like, so, okay, so they should have all the drafts. They should have the reference should have been Grizzly Man then is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I think so yeah. yeah. I mean the My only generals way, are uh, real Grizzly Man. <laughs> <laughs> I wish and that would lead to a hilarious waxing scene, sure. Yeah. I, I, I wish they'd gone further with that then. Now I can, all I can think of is a scene where they're they've picked like a, a Calvino book for the book club and they're like, I'll tell you, my life has a non existent night. Oh, tell me about it. People act like uh, my vagina's an invisible city. I, you know? I thought you were gonna If on a winter's I, night a I traveler showed up at my like, house. I thought you were going to go with more Hertzai. I thought you were going to be like, little Dieter needs some sex, if you know what I mean. <laughs> like, let me tell you, let's, let's, I could use a wrath of God down here. Where's my gear, right? Eh? Uh, yeah. Uh, Encounters at the yes, end so. of the world. Um, okay. <laughs> let's move on, I guess. Encounters at my end of the world. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now I'm trying to think of it. No, but now I'm trying to think of other Werner Herzog. Even <laughs> I'll tell you, even dwarves start out small. I'd take that right now. But okay. So uh, they she she leaves it, and uh, Diane Keaton's kids call the police to track her down. They track her phone to the pilot's house, where she falls off the aforementioned inflatable swan into the pool. It's 
it's all so charming. Uh, as as uh, I think has been mentioned on e- for the previous episode of the podcast, Andy Garcia falls in the pool, and my first thought is, oh no, his phone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Mary Steamergent finally puts that Viagra in Craig T. Nelson's beer, and he is not happy about it, as I wouldn't be, also, if my yeah. wife did that to me. Oh, you don't uh, like being assaulted? No, I don't like you. being drugged. Uh, they mm. get pulled over on the way home, and the lady cop makes him stand up, and then she lets him go so that they can go have sex, but they do not have sex. Instead, well, they argue a funny, in the house. a funny little wink where he's like, y'all have a good <laughs> night, and she goes into uh, Mary Steamergent, like, and you have a good night, and winks at him. And I, yeah. you know, it's a good performance. I guess so. And but they have an argument where which was kind of a strangely real argument to me. Yeah. It felt where Craig T. Nelson is like, ever since I've retired, I kind of don't know who I am. And I need to figure out who I am and my relationship to my life and my own body. And this mm-hmm. is and you putting this pressure on me is not helping. And then he walks away and bumps his dick into the wall and goes, ow. <laughs> well, yeah, they're having a serious argument. And throughout the entire argument, you can see this huge tint in his pants, uh, which I, I'm ashamed at like the amount that I did find that funny. The contrast between the two. I, I want to say, like, uh, maybe we can rate the movie's uh, storylines at the end, but this was my personal favorite of the storyline, the Mary Steenburgen and Craig T. Nelson one, uh, because it felt like it had a certain amount of actual emotional honesty. Like, I had an idea of who both of the characters uh, involved were supposed to be and what uh-huh. their, like, feelings were. Uh, you know, I mean, I like Mary Steenburgen a lot anyway. And you got a sense of what he was packing downstairs, you know? <laughs> yeah, a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's, there's that a reason a he's the coach. a huge boner through, a, through some khakis. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, it's uh, not, to, not to poltergeist too much, but it's here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what's some of the Craig T. Nelson stuff? <laughs> uh, the Incredibles. Talk about Mr. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, great. Uh, and that's the Craig T. Nelson bit. That T stands for tent in his pants. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd Turner that hooch. <laughs> no, he's not that? in that. I thought he was the bad guy in Turner and Hooch. Oh, is he? Was Maybe. He? I don't remember. <laughs> is he Action Jackson? <laughs> I mean, he is now. But, uh, okay. Wasn't Goldberg Action Jackson? No, that's Jumpin' Jack Flash. <laughs> Although, again, this Jack Flash is jumping. <laughs> okay, Stuart and Dan both looking up Craig T. Nelson's credits on their phone. Uh, yeah, Craig oh, wow. Nelson was in Action Jackson. Uh... But Jackson was Carl Weathers. Oh, oh, so was Craig Nelson the bad guy in that, too? <laughs> I'm sorry, Stuart, that I didn't know about Action Jackson. <laughs> oh, though, no, Craig T. Nelson, he did do the voice of a monster with a huge boner in Flesh Gordon. What? Wow. Yeah, so he's coming, so, back, to, he's coming back to his roots. That was circle. early on in his career. Hold on, let me l- yeah. double-check that to make sure I'm not misremembering it. Uh, just Google Craig T. Nelson Flesh uh, yeah, Flesh Gordon, Craig T. Nelson <laughs> as the monster. There's this kind of like stop motion animation monster with a oh, big okay. with a big penis, and he does the voice of it. So you know what? Mm. He so when they said, "Hey, are you ashamed about doing this role?" He was like, "I'm going back to my roots." And they said, "Please, no more mm-hmm. penis puns." Uh, so anyway, uh, but so they're they're upset, and she says, "Okay, fine. You don't have to dance with me." at the charity dinner. And Diane Keaton says to says to Andy Garcia, I have too many responsibilities with my kids. I can't be in a relationship with you. And and Jane Fonda is like, I, this is too much pressure, me and Arthur. I can't believe I fell asleep next to a man. I've had sex with lots of men, but I've never slept next to one. I can't handle this. And as mentioned, Candace Bergen is like, Wallace Shawn, 
too overpowering. I, I'm, a mon- I'm a beast when I'm around him. I just can't control mm-hmm. myself. I become an animal. So I got to stop doing this. So the book club, everyone's at their act two nadir. And Diane Keaton says, you know what? I'm moving to Arizona, not for the pilot, but to be babied by my kids. This is going to be my last book club. And it's like, oh, no, you can't break up the book club. You've been meeting for 40 some odd years ever since you first read Fear of Flying. Yeah, uh, which is ironic because she does have a fear of flying, but that's not really what the book "Fear of Flying" yeah, is no, about. Yeah, no, I, I did think like, did she pick it up thinking like it was a self help thing or what? <laughs> um, they sit around and drink together, and they kind of snipe at each other about their life problems, and then they're, you know what? They say, "We have to read book three. That's the only way we can get out of this." And they cry yeah, together. Yeah. And my note here says they all go forward with their lonely lives. Um, Arthur, he confronts Jane Fonda, and he says, hey, I love you, and she just kind of brushes him off, gives him the cold shoulder. And uh, Candace Bergen, she goes to her son slash husbands. It's two different people. They're not the same person. This is a not that kind of movie. Her, oh, uh, yeah. Her son and husband. Their engagement party. Their engagement pool party. And At one point, she gives a speech, and you're like, are we about to hear her give a speech about a character we don't know at all? Uh, and she gives a speech while standing next to a surfboard that has this is art written on it, which was very confusing. <laughs> I, I, think, I, kinda... I think that was meant to be an example of the kind of crazy things that this young woman is bringing into her ex-husband's life. Yeah. I kind of like the speech she gives because I think it, it has like, you know, like <laughs> uh, for a movie that is a sitcom, it has like some general, g- genuine uh, wisdom and heartfelt content and most speeches like this in movies end up being more about the person who's giving them than the people she's supposed to be giving the speech about, but in like a really obvious way. And this played the thing, I think it went down the line kind of nicely where it is like, clearly this is influenced by like the lesson she has learned over the movie, but she is still making it about them rather than herself. Now what's the, give me the gist of the speech. I know she talks about how love is a thing you have to, create or something what was it something, uh, about something that you know uh is given meaning only by the people who are meaning it and like it takes bravery i don't know i just remember i don't remember it <laughs> i just remember my yeah he's sticking a tattoo I mean, on himself or something that's, yeah okay you're right i thought maybe he memento it. i don't know now the uh i was when i first saw her dinging her glass to make a speech i was like uh-oh I know what happens when someone in my family gets up to make an unannounced speech. This is going to be hmm. bad. It is time for the for the for the grievances to be aired. But no, it was a nice speech, all about love. Um, the next afternoon, Jane Fonda is depressed. She couldn't even get up and get dressed. And the other book clubbers, I guess, they couldn't get her on her phone, so they, their book club sense was tingling, and they knew that their friend was in trouble. They just show up, and she's like, "Oh, I said no to Arthur, and now I feel terrible." And they're like, "You have to go after him. Run to the airport." They go, "His the- flight is leaving in an hour." Go get him. And it's like, she's never going to make it to the airport in an hour. That's crazy. He's already you know, passed the security gate. And the, like, rush to the airport thing doesn't have the same weight it kind of used to because, like, you can, like, text him on the fucking phone now. <laughs> That's true. Like, while he's, like, on the plane, you can FaceTime with his ass. And you can only make it as far as security. But, like, I, I, yeah. I, I, mean, I will say that, that want... this, did, this, didn't have the t- this didn't have the tent stakes that the run to the airport scene in Little Italy had, which is saying yeah. quite a lot. But, Dan, you well, were going to say. She like, she, like, owns a hotel. She can just fly to fucking New York and see him there. There's a couple pizza. things. I want to say about this scene. Number one, I feel like it illuminates one of the big problems with the movie, which is like it comes to life more when they're all together and they're together 
very rarely and this is one of the few times they're together not just for book club they're like doing a thing which is supporting jane fonda uh number two they, I they, they're this. like they're like help her get dressed dress her up in something sexy everything she owns is sexy and then they put her in kind of like the kind of standard blue dress that i would imagine a waitress in the 70s wearing in like uh like uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore or something like that. I'm like, this is not the, the most provocative thing that, that you could throw on her. Again, I want this to be about the erotic awakening of these four women. <laughs> okay. and it's disappointing mm-hmm. me that it's mm-hmm. not. But Dan, you're saying. Uh, I also think that like, so throughout the movie, I feel like Jane Fonda's storyline gets sort of shortchanged the most. I kind of like. Yes. Uh, and I'm also sort of throughout the movie baffled by, okay, like what is her deal? Like she keeps, they, everyone keeps talking about how she's like, afraid of commitment but there's like it's just sort of spoken about and this is the first time i sort of get what's going on like she is pushing don johnson away because she is afraid she is too afraid of losing him again to even give it a chance uh particularly as an older woman who is scared that like he will lose interest and just run off with someone younger and jane fonda's you know a a great actor and she like really sells this and I have to admit, guys, like I started crying at this point, and I think it's because <laughs> I think it's because like one thing that connects with me, I don't know why, is someone later in life sort of making an emotional breakthrough, <laughs> and mm. uh, she is opening mm. herself up to uh, something scary. And I was like, <laughs> I was genuinely crying is watching that, this. Is that- kind of what you're doing right now by revealing this emotional honesty to us well, i'm tearing up a little bit I, there's a there's an, another part that uh also made me cry i think it was primed to cry because i was already crying from this scene but uh i'll tell you when we get to it okay wow dan i didn't I had no idea it had such an emotional impact on you and i'm really happy that uh that you managed to get around to watching the movie this morning what? <laughs> what are you talking about when have i never i mean like i've fallen asleep during movies before but i always watch them <laughs> Um, so the uh, so I want to hear about the other scene that's going to make you cry. Anyway, they uh, she uh, she goes after him and she rushes to catch Arthur at the airport, but she fails to catch him there. Meanwhile, it's it's the talent show at the charity dinner, and Mary Steenburgen is like, "I'm just going to dance without my husband. I'm going to do my old little kid tap dance routine to Red Red Robin." But the wrong song starts playing. It's Meatloaf's. Which Meatloaf song is it? Is it I Will Do Anything for Love? I Will Do Anything for Love. And the guy backstage, when she's like, this is the wrong song, is the most comical, like, I don't know. I don't know how to work this (laughs) CD player. Everyone's like, she's dancing to Meatloaf? And she's (laughs) making it work. And it's like, as if this is crazy. As if what she's doing is insane. And yet somehow she's, she's made to do it. And then who shows up? Craig T. Nelson. And I'm not sure if it was like that he put the wrong song on on purpose for this or he just managed to show up but I think he runs does he ride his motorcycle into the room Uh, or does he just run in I think you just imagine it that way because he runs in with his motorcycle helmet on and a leather jacket I was like because it could have been a it could have been a it's it's like improv shorthand for yes it could have been a tip of the hat to the scene in Rocky Horror where Meatloaf rides his motorcycle into the room but they didn't uh do that I guess and this was the other time I cried not because like it wasn't like I mean like this is utterly predictable that he would show up for her big moment but they had done the work again. Like I feel like this is the most emotionally grounded one that I'm like, ah, like they're reconnecting. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, but this is the kind of story that would usually take up about nine to ten minutes of a twenty-two minute sitcom. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Rather than a feature I, film. I get it. It was it was pretty emotional for me because you know, 
That was a great song playing. It just made me think about how Meatloaf is a climate change denier, and uh, it's hard to appreciate his, enjoy his music anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, you also have to ignore Craig T. Nelson's political views, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember we used to play that clip on The Daily Show a lot when he was on Fox, and he said, I was on welfare, I was on food stamps, nobody had offered me a handout. It was like, <laughs> hold on a second. <laughs> like, But uh, the... Uh, and, and they are so turned on that they rush home to have sex on his motorcycle. I mean, they're rushing home on his motorcycle. I don't know where they had sex. Maybe it was just on a motorcycle. On the motorcycle. Because for Craig T. Nelson, that would be a threesome at that point. He loves that motorcycle. <laughs> I guess uh-huh. so. Do you think she got irritated? We don't see the scene. But do you think maybe she got irritated that he was lavishing so much attention on the motorcycle and not at her? What do you mean we didn't see that scene? That was the whole fucking... We didn't oh, see not them the, having we didn't sex, see a, Dan. No, we didn't see... Yeah. <laughs> Craig T. Nelson. Oh, Dan, uh, what, did, sticking, you see the un, did you see the un, unrated cut of Book Club that I wasn't <laughs> yeah. aware of? <laughs> yeah, I, I, fell, I fell asleep watching this and uh, Crash came on the TV afterwards <laughs> yeah. and like I just merged them in my mind. Oh, fair, fair. What, what, and what channel was this that was playing both of these movies? <laughs> yeah, Dan, Dan was the reading a... Uh, Dan was reading a penthouse magazine and fell asleep on a Soriyama painting. <laughs> yeah. Dan was watching the Cognitive Dissonance Channel, or CDC. Dan, that's not the CDC you're supposed to be getting oh, no. your virus information from. <laughs> um, okay. Jane Fonda, she goes back to her hotel. Hey, guess who's there waiting for her? It's Arthur. He didn't get on the plane. He needed her. They kiss. Uh, mm-hmm. And Diane Keaton, she's with her daughters eating pizza in Arizona. And this is what I was like, it's just the three of them eating pizza at a table. And I couldn't help but think, like, where's the rest of their families? Like, the grandma just showed up. Why are their kids and their husbands not there for dinner? It was the very husbands, strange to me. The husbands are, like, I'm assuming out in the yard drinking from a bowl and eating slop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that your, is that what married life is like for you, too? What I like about this scene is when one of the daughters goes, does anyone want a piece of pizza? And my wife audibly groaned at the term piece of pizza. <laughs> And then Alicia Silverstone lifted up the slice of pizza in her hand and goes, I already got one. <laughs> uh, that's, a, like, that's a little story in miniature, you know? There's a setup and a resolution. <laughs> Act one, there's pizza. Act two, the the question goes out, is there pizza? Act three, I don't need pizza, thank you. But that's the thing. That's, that is, that is the, her daughter's proving that they don't need uh, they don't need their mom in their life anymore because they yeah. can provide their own pieces of pizza. I mean, that wasn't that wasn't really the. I think the lesson was more that she doesn't need them to take care of her, but she I doesn't right. need to provide pieces of pizza for their hungry mouths. <laughs> no, no. Now, how would this map onto them up like a bird? <laughs> now, how is this map onto a Dan Harmon story circle? Okay, they're in a zone of comfort. They have their mother with them. Then there's a problem: pizza. Uh, eventually, they they meet the goddess, who I assume in this case is Diane Keaton. And by the end, they are back where they started, that zone of comfort. But they've learned a lesson, which is that Diane Keaton needs to go live her own life. She, for some, I don't remember what it is that causes the her to finally snap. Maybe it's the maybe it's, it's the them saying piece, piece of pizza shit. <laughs> well, them saying piece of pizza. But she goes, hey, <laughs> stop taking care of me. I have my own life to live, and I'm not oh, done living yet. And she drives through you all. They're telling her that she shouldn't have driven all the way down herself. Oh, she right, could have killed right. someone. Yeah, because because she's such a because she's such an old person driver, and she yeah. drives her U-Haul over to the pilot's house, and he's like, "What's this?" And she goes, "My overnight bag," and it's like, "J.K., I'm I'm moving in. I I live here now. I'm a squatter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is just like this is just like the servant. I now yeah. live here. This is my house. I take I control it." And uh, Candace Bergen, 
guess what? She reactivates her online dating account and reconnects with George, Richard Dreyfus. Which, I, like, she swipes on him and they match. I'm like, wait, they matched before. What the fuck is going on? We Why? thought he might he might have changed enough since that date that they that they don't match anymore. Well, no, yeah. they would. I mean, I guess. Sometimes I mean, you have to assume Bumble also that she has uh, like uh, run out over time, but I don't think it's been long enough time in the world of book club for that to have happened. I mean, at this point, also you could assume that she could just call him. They probably exchanged yeah, phone exactly. numbers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but guys, uh, the next thing is uh, they exchange the late... more than that. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I don't. Explain it, Stuart. <laughs> can you can you explain that in clearer terms? <laughs> Okay, so imagine life is like a piece of pizza. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And life begins when one piece of pizza and a pepperoni. Are you following me? Okay, kind of. I mean, my mom always said life is like a box of chocolates, so this is very confusing to me. So, wait, you're talking about a piece piece of pepperoni is what you're talking about, right? A piece of pepperoni? A single piece. A pizza pepperoni. (laughs) A single piece of pepperoni and a single piece of pizza. Yeah. Uh, what's the next step of this podcast? Okay, then a piece of sauce is probably involved, right? <laughs> no, the yeah. credits is the next step. Then there's there... then I, and then during the credits, well, there's there's just a little scene where we see the ladies recreating their old fake photo uh, yeah. of how they were posed in a bar together, and uh, that's it. They're 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 in the book yeah. club still, I guess. I thought for sure there were going to be some bloops, but there were no bloops. There were no bloops. You know why? Because they're such flawless professionals that they got every line right on the first take. And so there you have it. Four ladies, they read Fifty Shades of Grey, they realize what's wrong with their lives, and they take minimal steps to do the obvious to achieve success and satisfaction. Book club, won't you? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Okay, well. It seemed like they had it all, and now they do. (laughs) (laughs) The end. Uh, That's the slogan on the post. They thought they had it all, dot, 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 and now they do. Mm-hmm. Book yeah, I mean, do you think the tagline of this movie should have been, like, join the book club, or... <laughs> well, the, the tagline was, the next chapter is always the best. Oh. So it's the next chapter in their lives. Oh, uh, that's cool. Well, I mean, that work... is categorically untrue. Like, it's not always the next chapter that is the best, but sure. Why not? I mean, that's uh, optimism. Wow. Dan, with a nihilistic view of reading... Hey, stop no, that I'm book not... right now. This chapter is it... probably the best. The next chapter probably sucks. Look, it could, the next chapter could be the best, but let's not make any assurances. Let's not write any checks our butt can't cash here. Dan, why is your butt cashing your checks? <laughs> Dan, when I said I said you needed to get someone to have power of attorney, not power of butt attorney, I think you misunderstood. <laughs> oh, oh. Ugh, doesn't even sound alike. Anyway, let's go <laughs> on to Final Judgments. This is a good, bad movie. A bad, bad movie. A movie you kind of liked. Uh, I, I gotta admit, I kind of liked this movie. Like, wow. it is not... I mean, it, it made is, you cry twice, Dan. I think you liked yeah, this movie. The movie... Here's my take on the movie. This movie works in spite of the script and direction. What? This, the, that poll quote on the posters now. This movie works. Dan McCoy, The Flophouse. <laughs> like, it works entirely on the fact that this is... These are old pros. They're great. Like, you love seeing them interact. You love seeing them in a movie. And it just proves that, like, there should be more movies uh, featuring... There should be more movies, says Dan (laughs) McCoy. (laughs) It proves that there should be more movies featuring older characters, featuring older actors, uh, specifically older women, because, like, if this movie can squeak by and work on me uh, in... with bad material, imagine the same cast with good material. 
Yeah. That's yeah. my take. Imagine if it was the best uh, exotic Marigold Hotel, you know? Yeah, instead of the <laughs> mediocre exotic Marigold Hotel. Uh, Dan, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go so far as to say it's a movie I kind of liked because I didn't like it, but I will call it a good bad movie. In that, yeah. Throughout the movie, I just kept being like, "All right, movie." Like, <laughs> like I couldn't. The movie was so like exactly what I thought it would be in a way yeah. that I found uh, comforting, I guess. But it also just every time I was watching, I was like, "There's a whole world of cinema out there," and I'll call it cinema that I don't see normally and that most of America sees, and like. It's good for me to recognize that, but also, like, this is a pretty dumb movie. I, I could see watching it and just groaning with people. It's not <laughs> okay, the kind of movie you, where you're going to, like, be making snide comments, but you're going to groan at it. Could you say that in a more coastal elite way, <laughs> I can't. I'm a coastal elite. <laughs> yeah. I watched it I watched it in a condescending way. I mean, I don't know if I'd say coastal elite because my mom, who also lives on a coast, I think would love this movie. Yeah. But I guess it's more of a generational condescension. I will say yeah. this, Dan. Just looking at it right now. Looking at the ages of these women in the movie, Mary Seenburgen, you can tell is the is the youngest of them. Jane Fonda, I didn't realize, according to Wikipedia, is eighty two years old, and she looks amazing in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. everyone's talking Jane, about Jane, Jane Fonda is amazing. Everyone's talking about J Lo at fifty. Jane Fonda at eighty two is much more impressive, and she's and like the, you never for a moment do I not buy that she is a an incredibly like <laughs> sexually active and attractive woman, and I think that's fantastic. I and she's both. also been like. She's also been like putting up with bullshit for so long. Yes. I both I both agree with you, Elliot, and am am glad for her, and think that we probably shouldn't spend much time uh, talking about these women's uh, looks. Dan, I'm, I want to celebrate the beauty of these women. I'm just saying okay. that beauty is ageless. Okay, uh, Stuart, what do you have to say? So I'm going to say this is you know. Uh, there's stuff going on in the world right now, and the idea of watching a movie that has, like, basically no uh, tension or drama or thrills, that's kind of comforting right now. <laughs> so, it, was, it was good to watch a movie where if everything <clears throat> went wrong for these characters, they would be fine. Yeah, yeah. it's not like the, the other movie I was watching, uh, uh, that I've been watching uh, spread out over the last couple of days. Uh, I saw the devil, which is horrible and violent. Oh yeah, that's a that's a Where, rough movie. Yeah, uh, but it's you know it's still great. But um, it's really good. But it's yeah, that's that's a that's a that's the let's say polar opposite of the movie we're talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's uh, fair. Yeah. I I'll go as far as to say like it's kind of, it doesn't necessarily fall under the like good bad criteria, uh, but. It isn't necessarily like I'm not mad at it, so it's kind of in between good, bad, and movie. I'm fine with. Uh, okay. <laughs> movie I'm fine with. I'll allow it. Says Judge Wellington. <sighs> There's nothing quite like sailing in the calm international waters on my ship, the SS Biopic. It's actually pronounced biopic. No, you dingus! It's biopic! Who the hell says that? It's biopic! Because it's the, the words word for biography and picture. If you... All right, that is enough. Ahoy! I'm Dave Holmes. I am the host of the rebooted podcast formerly known as International Waters, designed to resolve petty but persistent arguments like this. How? by pitting two teams of opinionated comedians against each other with trivia and improv games, of course. Winner takes home the right to be right. What podcast be this? It's called Troubled Waters, where we disagree to disagree! 
Macho Man to the top rope. The flying elbow, the cover. We've got a new champion. We're here with Macho Man Randy Savage after his big win to become the new world champion. What are you going to do now, Match? I'm going to go listen to the newest episode of the Tights and Fights podcast. Oh, yeah. Tell us more about this podcast. It's the podcast of power. Too sweet to be sour. Funky like a monkey. Woke discussions, man. And jokes about wrestlers' fashion choices. Myself excluded. I can't wait to listen. Neither can I. You can find it Saturdays on Maximum Fun. Oh, yeah. Dig it. Letters is our next thing. Normally, we would have some uh, sponsors here. Uh, originally, this was going to be in sort of the Max Fun Drive zone, so there's nothing scheduled. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and I want, but I do want to take this moment. I could talk for a while again about how attractive I found all of the women in the movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's been kind of working so far, right? Uh, let's. <laughs> no, I, I do want to uh, take this moment uh, to say um, I, I think it will surprise no one to know that the Toronto show has been canceled, as has that entire film festival. Um, mm-hmm. But we hope to be past this pandemic, as everyone does uh, soon. And we hope to be back out on the road uh entertaining folk and Obviously, entertaining the, ourselves the, the the big worry about uh the this this pandemic is not when is the flop house going to get back on the road but uh it is something that we will do when the time is ready yeah uh but let's move on to letters uh this first one is from eli who writes uh howdy floppers um, I'm going to skip over this part where he tells us that we're great and go on to the question, which he is... He probably doesn't feel that way anymore after listening to this yeah. episode anyway. <laughs> he uh, thinks I'm a creep. He thinks Dan is rude to people who write in letters, and he still likes to. Yeah. But Eli writes... I mean, that's the usual way it goes. Eli writes, uh, with the success of the Purge TV show, what movie have you watched for the podcast that you would turn into a TV show? Hopefully it doesn't take two years for this email to be read. R-O-C-K in the USA. Eli, you know, he got his, he got his jabs in at the end, even though he was nice mm-hmm. to us before. He got you. Uh, well, I don't know he was nice to us. You you described it, but I didn't get to hear it. You know, he deemed it was about it, helping he him deemed it not worthy or some, some nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been watching, I've watched a couple of uh, series that are based on movies. I just watched uh, the High Fidelity series on Hulu, yeah. which is basically just like a slight palette swap and... I don't, I don't, I don't quite buy some of the choices. Like I don't really buy Zoe Kravitz as this like unlucky in love jerk, uh, because you know, she's, you know, one of the most beautiful women in the world. So that's weird. Um, but the, uh, and then I also watched the outsider on HBO and in both cases, uh, which I guess isn't based on a movie, but it feels like a horror movie just strung out into 10 episodes. And I feel like in both cases, they just took, material that would normally make one movie and they're like how can we turn this into a 10 episode series uh for good and bad like i mean uh you know like stretching things out let you add a little more depth uh and so what i'm going to the way i'm going to answer this question is uh looking back at our recent movies i think they should make a tv show out of pottersville uh, turn it into mm. a 30-minute uh, long sitcom. Thank you. <laughs> and what, now tell us a little bit about <laughs> how you. they would do that. Is, that, is it a long-running, is it like a, a 
long running thing about Bigfoot, or is there a new adventure every every week? Uh, I would say it's a thirty minute long sitcom. It is the Bigfoot thing stays there. That is a consistent running thing in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no arc. Each episode can be taken entirely separate from the other episodes. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> like you're trapped in this, uh, like this endless cycle of Pottersville Christmas. Uh, so it's Bigfoot always Christmas hysteria. in every episode. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, all right. So, so it's like, kind of like it's about a series of uh, thirty-minute Hallmark movies. Yeah, kinda. But there's kind of yeah, like a little bit of Twin Peaks about it. Yeah, Quite. there's certainly a little bit of Twin Peaks about it. Siri, uh, for some reason, picked up uh, a series of 30-minute Hallmark movies and thought that was a thing that I wanted information about, I guess. It's, oh, it just wow. turned on. Yeah. Uh, I was going to so, say... I know so, this is, wait, I, so, is it, is, so every... Wait, I just want to... About Pottersville. So it's, it takes place at huh? the store, yeah. I assume? Like Michael yeah, Shannon's yeah. That's, store that's is like the, the central set? Yeah, of course. That's the main set. And now is he... Is it continuing on from the movie? So is he now in a relationship with Judy Greer or is he still married to Christina Hendricks? It's, I mean, it's going to start all the way at the beginning. Oh, right? okay. So, so he's, he's going to begin married. In some episodes, he'll be married to Christina Hendricks. In other episodes, <laughs> he's going to be dating Judy Greer, and you don't know how he got from point A to point B. <laughs> okay. that's, like, that's fair. You can't that's tell fair. if you're like somebody just took the episodes and like shuffled them like a deck yeah. of cards. Now, <laughs> Stuart, why are you so, there's no, this? Like, there's no, there's no path. Like, <laughs> so, and there's so some, every, some places every... where there's like, there's a character with a broken arm in one episode, <laughs> and then in a completely different episode, he breaks his arm, but it doesn't track with the marriage and the other plot lines. And so, you're like, so what you, is happening? So this is no. so traditional sitcom, if I can, if I can interject. <laughs> a traditional sitcom, there's an assumption that the episodes take place in some sequence, one after the other. Even yeah. the, something like The Simpsons, there's either slow development over time or it's just well this is another day what you're suggesting is a radical new reinvention of the sitcom where each episode takes place in an alternate reality from a previous episode where it's the same characters and situation but they're in a slightly different place and because they're existing in a parallel dimension there is no sequencing there's no it's almost like continuity it's almost like each element in the in the the story whether it's physical like set decoration items or people's lives those all are on completely different trajectories at any given time. So you yeah. don't know what point in Pottersville you're at. So, yeah, so the first, the first a, 10 minutes of it, each episode is more just getting your bearings of like what's going on in Pottersville in this yeah, episode. The first 25 yeah. minutes, you're like, what is happening? <laughs> well, the first 25 of the 30 you're trying, show. You're trying not to vomit because your mind is just, you're trying to, the pattern you're recognition of it is just so hard. So you're saying it's less about like alternate realities more like Pottersville has come unstuck in time but individual uh-huh. elements of it may be like differently unstuck in time exactly you're, yeah. you're yeah. Dan, Dan, here. Dan gets it perfectly I don't know what your problem is so, no, I, you, yeah, I just I'm I mean, impressed I get it I don't quite <clears throat> understand the creative choice you're making no no like, he is, why, he is but... the, the, he is if this is a radical reinvention the normal purpose of a sitcom is reassurance it's slight agitation which is that led to a catharsis of return to mm-hmm. the norm but what uh-huh. he's suggesting is instead a sitcom that aims for the opposite objective where it unsettles the viewer and in yeah. fact leaves them teetering on the brink of madness as they try and to make sense no of how norm. this experience squares the past experiences yeah yeah i mean luckily uh this pitch worked pretty well when i yelled it at michael shannon when we were 
crossing each other on the street in my neighborhood the other day. At least Seems six like feet apart. Seems like a complex idea to get across just yelling to Michael Shannon as you're crossing past each other. I mean, yeah, I, I was th- like, it's... hey, hey, Pottersville, but crazy. And he just nodded, <laughs> oh, and he's like, yep, gave me a thumbs up. I mean, Pottersville, the movie, is already a little crazy, so he probably thought you said Pottersville was crazy and nodded. <laughs> Yeah. I don't. I don't think that's him greenlining the series, though necessarily, Stuart. <laughs> I think he might just be uh, indulging uh, what he assumes is a fan. I don't know. It seemed like the behavior of an executive producer credit. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if... the, the president of HBO Max was walking with Michael Shannon at the time and also gave you a nod, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. HBO Max is that the HBO that's like, like a little bit too hot for comic book stands? <laughs> yeah. No, it's maximum. It's, it's what? It's maximum. Yeah, yeah, it's the maximum HBO. It's, <laughs> it's, it's. But uh, I, th- yeah, I think this is a great idea. Uh, Dan, what were you gonna do? What show were you uh, gonna make of a movie? Well, I won't talk at length because nothing can top that. I was just gonna, like, this is a bit of a cheat because this is a movie like that we based enjoy. on a TV show. No, this is a movie that we enjoy and uh, we did as a special episode. But you know, a Tango and Cash TV show. I would love to get the original stars back. As uh, an aging Tango and Cash, you know, just adventures every week. Not to not to reveal too much. This is something that uh, a former uh, podcast guest Brendan Hay and I have talked about before, and uh, and looked into. And the rights to that movie are so mixed up that oh uh, wow that we it was, but it was something that we were genuinely thinking about developing and pitching. Was a Tango and Cash TV show? <laughs> oh uh, wow. Uh, and I'll just say, I would make a TV show at a book club. They already did it. It's called Golden Girls. Boom, we're there. All right. Well, there's one more uh, letter. Oh, wait, I, think. I would also say I was considering maybe a TV show of Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, but that oh, would yeah. kind of just turn into Babylon Five, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, probably. So there's uh, one more letter. It has no question, but it's a delightful anecdote. It's from David, last name withheld, and David writes. So not my. Wait. So is it? Well, we'll just hear it. We'll, we'll see. It's not the it's David not, I'm thinking it's of. It's not your brother. It's not my brother. Okay. Okay. Is it David Duchovny? It is David Duchovny. <laughs> you guessed it. Okay. Uh, uh, David really Duchovny <laughs> writes, while Mr. Payback it's has It's ironic come up, because on Red Shoe Diaries, people were writing to David Duchovny, but now he's writing to us. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Wait. Right until I'm starting the letter. To, uh While Mr. Payback has come up several times before on your show, I didn't realize until the discussion on your Verotica episode that none of you had actually seen it. I have not only seen Mr. Payback in theaters, I've seen... I am Mr. Payback. (laughs) (laughs) Please, Mr. Payback is my father. Call me John Payback. Uh, I've not only seen it in theaters, I've seen every branch of the interactive movie in the theater, and I did it by ruining the film for everybody. Uh, He explains, I was working at a place where one of the theaters had to be converted to an all-Mr. Payback cinema. The large large controller armrests and the new, uh, for the time, digital projector meant that the theater could not be used for anything else. And we had to keep screening the half-hour longer film for six weeks, even though there was hardly (laughs) anyone ever in it. Uh, Anyone in the theater, not hardly anyone in the movie, because the movie... It's, it featured Christopher Lloyd, Eddie Deason, lots of people were in the movie. And, of yeah. course, Billy Warlock as Mr. Payback. Yeah. Uh, we had an employee screening before it opened. We all knew it was doomed right from the start. But the bad movie fan in me got the idea of trying to watch all the paths. 
So for the first week, I would slip into the theater with the five or so patrons watching it and just go along with them. Then I made a discovery. The voting mechanism did not work properly. Rather than letting <laughs> each seat vote once, Mr. Payback counted each time the button was pressed as a vote. Once I discovered this, I began stuffing the ballot box in all of the Mr. Payback screenings so I could see the bits of the movie I hadn't watched yet. People would be sitting alone in that theater, and I'd come in the back and vote a dozen times on the part I wanted to see. I wonder how many of those people left thinking that the Mr. Payback voting was as rigged as Mr. Sardonicus. 25 years later, the only thing I remember about Mr. Payback as a movie was that the biggest celebrity they could get for it was Frank Gorshin. Keep on flopping, David Last Name Withheld. I mean, Frank Gorshin's a pretty big star, right? Uh, <laughs> for us, maybe. I don't know. Uh, that That's a charming tale of uh, cruelty towards others. <laughs> I just really love that uh, the theater had to make such an investment in Mr. Yeah. Payback. Like, that was an all-in risk. And if it had paid <laughs> off, they'd be look like geniuses. They would have been paid mm-hmm. back. It's yeah. uh, It was going to be the future of cinema, Elliot. <laughs> It was going to be the future of cinema. I, so, have you guys ever seen an interactive movie that you really liked? Like, that worked for you? Because I feel like every now and then they try it. Like, they had that Black Mirror episode. And I feel like when I see a movie, I don't want to have to make choices. I want to uh-huh. be, like, in the world the filmmaker is creating, and I want to see where they take me. But maybe, do you guys feel differently? Do you like having a sense of control I mean, over the narrative? I I feel like video games have taken over that space, right? And I'm not ah, really much that's of a, fair a, point. A, a game player, so I, I wouldn't know. But You wouldn't describe yourself as a Game Boy? <laughs> I would not. Okay. But Dan, you were so into Gamergate at the time. You said that ethics and game journalism was really important, right? God, why do you slander me every episode? <laughs> Dan, I've been such a creep oh, wow. in this episode. I just gotta make someone else the bad guy for once. Into it. Okay. Yeah. Um... Guys, that was a great story. Thank you, David, let, for writing in. Let us uh, move along to the last segment where we recommend movies that we uh, watched recently or not so recently that you should, uh, you know, why not check them out? Maybe maybe you're, you know, self-isolating uh, and you got to fill the hours. Who knows? Um, I'll go first. So I will admit... That this may be uh, a very specific reason I liked this movie. I uh, are you going to recommend ta- book club? Yeah, no, I had taken part of an edible to deal with the anxiety of our current world, and it kicked in. Right you, you when mean I, you, wait, Dan? You mean a piece of an edible? Uh, <laughs> I don't get. Oh yeah, it's a callback. Uh, yeah, remember uh, earlier <laughs> the piece thing? Yeah, hey, I remember. Dan, give Peace a chance. A piece of pizza, that is. Okay. Um, (laughs) Don't fucking steal my bit. (laughs) It's stolen. It's mine now. I'm the milk girl of this bit. So the edible kicked in right when I uh, happened across the very beginning of Tommy on television. And I had never watched Tommy. And, uh, oh boy... You know, if you happen to be in that situation where uh, you're both mildly stoned and just want something that will wash over you and you don't have to think about that much, uh, Mm -hmm. Tommy will fit the bill because it is a crazy uh, rock opera by The Who about a uh, kid with psychosomatic uh, deaf, dumb blindness who becomes a pinball wizard, as we all know, and then becomes kind of a messianic figure. Uh, is this the is this the movie with Chris Farley and David Spade? Yes, exactly. No, that's yes, Tommy Boy. 
Oh. oh. This is the one with Oliver Reed, who cannot sing, and Anne-Margaret, who can. And uh, it is directed by Ken Russell, the master of crazy excess and bad taste. And it just explodes all over the screen. And uh, I will say, I don't know whether the uh, it was just like a weird airing on the channel I was watching. The vocals were mixed so low in the explosive Who uh, soundtrack that I... You know they might might as well not have been singing, so I turned on the uh, closed captions. That may be something you need to do, but uh, it's just a sensory overload. So if you're in the mood for that, it's crazy and uh, weird and fun and uh, yeah, Tommy. Cool, Tommy boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gonna leave a mark. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to recommend uh, a movie starring one Elijah Wood called Come to Daddy. It's a movie about a young DJ who no. is a Well, yeah, to... he is a DJ. Sorry, I thought you were Dan, Dan, why are you, crazy. Dan, why are you real-time fact-correcting Seward's recommendation? <laughs> sorry. sorry, go on. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> so he's a young DJ, <laughs> and he wants to reconnect with his uh, biological father, who he has never had a relationship with. Wait, wait, wait. And does uh, not know. Dan, can you can you verify that for me? Yes, sorry, I can't verify this. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, and of course, this reunion does not go uh, exactly as he had hoped, and it's a weird thriller that starts strange and then spirals into weirder and darker places than you would expect, and it turns into a real showcase for a lot of fun character actors. Uh, it's uh, fun and gross, and uh, yeah, funny. Check it out. Come to Daddy. Yeah, I, it it, ha- it was kind of like I feel like it has like the vi- it's a Canadian New Zealand uh, co-production, and yeah, it has so it's some got of that. that vibe. It's it's got that crazy. Vi- Sorry, I shouldn't say, say crazy. Something. Oh, it's, it's got the, that, the guy who did the Greasy Strangler made it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's got that weird vibe. Uh, it's like a much stranger, uh, goofy version of like a Jeremy Saulnier uh, thriller. I feel like. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, sorry, Elliot. What were you gonna say? Oh, nothing. I have my recommendation. If you guys are ready, if you if you're yeah, done please. if you're done providing the Pinocchios for Stewart's for Stewart's recommendation. <laughs> oh God, the frustration is coming out right at the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna recommend two movies. One of them might be a little on the nose, and the other one is more of a comfort food movie. So a movie that I saw recently that uh, I liked more than I thought I would but which may not be the right one for movie right for people right now is uh, a movie called The World the Flesh and the Devil. This is a movie from 1959 starring Harry Belafonte and Inger Stevens and Mel Ferrer about a kind a uh, it's an end of the world movie where Harry Belafonte for a while thinks he is the last person left on earth. There is uh, there's been use of some kind of atomic poison that's wiped out most of humanity. And the strange thing about this movie is we never see any bodies. They seem to have all disappeared and a lot of it is Harry Belafonte trying to make his way, thinking he's the only person there, and then finding a woman alive in New York and trying to figure out how to kind of, like, shake off the, like, limits he feels from where his place was in the previous society. And the thing that I found really interesting in this movie that they don't play with as much as they I would have liked is the idea that he doesn't necessarily want to return to the way life was before because for a black man in America in the 1950s, it might be 
better for him to now be on his own and self-sufficient and in control of his surroundings rather than part of this institutional culture in which he can never have everything he wants and is always going to be kind of a second-class citizen. So they do a little bit with that in it that I found really fascinating, and it eventually turns into kind of like a weird uh, love triangle that is not super successful. But if you don't want to watch a movie about most of the people in the world dying, which I understand is not the thing you might want to watch right now, I would also recommend one of my favorites, The Music Man. Uh, We recently got a record player and hooked it up in our house, and we got my wife's parents' old record collection, and my son has been crazy about the soundtrack to The Music Man, and we've been listening to it a lot lately. It just reminds me what a like for me, feel-good movie that movie is. I love the songs in it. It's really bright and colorful. The dancing's great. The performers are really great. And I just really love it. So if you want yeah. something that's just going to make you feel good, I'll recommend The Music Man. If you want there's, something that uh, is going to tap into your anxieties, then perhaps The World, The Flesh, and The Devil. There's some line line readings that Robert Preston gives in that that I find so funny. Like, he, he, he just knows what he's doing. Uh, the only thing I will say about The Music Man is there's one song in it you can probably guess which song it is that I do not like. It's Shapoopy, the uh, the song that is basically about, like, if a girl's not interested in you, just keep pressing your case, and eventually you'll win her over, and I don't like that song. I both don't like it as a song, and I think it's gross. But otherwise, I like the rest of the movie a lot. Yeah. Well, guys, I think this was fun. It's nice to see Well, think about human, it, Dan, and see how you feel later. Faces. <laughs> it's nice to see uh, people out in the world. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been sick for a couple of days, and I just thought, like, if I'm going to go, you know, I want to be telling dumbass jokes about book club with you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, it's nice that we can still uh, use modern technology to interact with each other, and uh, I had a lot of fun talking with you guys about book club, and I apologize again for my comments about the incredibly attractive stars of book club. (laughs) All right, uh, you know, do the usual stuff. Go to MaximumFun.org. Find other podcasts you might like. Uh, look, they're pretty busy right now, I assume, so you don't have to, I, like, review or tweet norma- about us. But nor- Yeah, normally you know. we'd say, like, write us a review or tweet about us. I would say, like, right now, take that energy, use it to take care of yourselves, to yeah. take care of your families, and, like, do what you can to help other people. If you see someone yeah. who needs help help them as best you can don't worry about us we'll be okay for a little bit but but keep, yeah. but also if you get that if people are like hey what podcast should i listen to like mention the flop house but otherwise like focus on helping other people and taking care of yourselves and not on pumping us up yeah and be if, safe and if you're a, a max fun uh, member we just put up some new bonus content so yeah you can check that out well I guess that's it. <laughs> thank you <laughs> Another for, classic uh, Flophouse ending. <laughs> yeah, thank you for being with me, guys. And thank you for being with us, listeners. Uh, until next time, I've been Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.